Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. Great to see you today. Hope I sound a little better this week. I feel a ton better, but great to see you today. Um, Let me ask you a question. How many of you would rather be cold than warm? Uh, There's a few. There's a few. Okay, okay. Generally, as as a rule, human beings abhor the cold, do we not? Um, In fact, I've I've been reading this week, uh, they're doing some studies with the cold and um, I read that they, they've done these studies where they've made people live at 45 degrees. And after about 24 hours, everybody just got out of the study. They, they couldn't take it anymore. For, uh, for 24 hours at 45 degrees, no change in temperature, no going up. No, they just, it, it, drives, us, it drives us crazy. We don't like to be cold generally. Uh, our bodies aren't um, actually equipped for it very well, especially uh, considering a comparison to, to, uh, to animals. Um, you know, we have these, uh, we're furless, right? Um, we have these gangly extremities. Uh, our hands, our arms extend to distant fingers and our legs extend to distant toes. And it just takes a lot of blood over a long distance to move blood over a long distance to keep us warm. And so when it gets cold, our body just naturally starts to sacrifice sending out that much warmth to your extremity, and it just wants to keep your core temperature. And that's why it's miserable being cold. We just do not like being cold. <clears throat> we begin to behave differently when we're cold. Psychologically, we begin to do things and um, I just kind of immersed myself in this study this week, but the takeaway for this, and all I wanted to share with you today is, is that they are finding that actually being cold, allowing yourself to be a little colder, has tremendous health benefits. Tremendous health benefits. They've actually found, though, that we... we can adapt. Our bodies, if we expose ourselves to the cold a little bit more and more, our bodies adapt. And we become more readily able to stand the cold. And then the cold actually has some health. I mean, it's pretty cool as far as what they're talking about with our muscles, with our metabolism, with diabetes. Um... You can look this stuff up, but it, it's pretty cool. But my takeaway in reading this study this week was that if you and I are willing to expose ourselves to being a little bit uncomfortable, to the cold, our body acclimates, and we get used to it, and our body changes, our muscles change, our, the, the brown fats that we have, and all this starts to go on in our body, and we actually are able to live in the cold better. And I was thinking about that study I was reading. I wasn't reading that for this sermon. I just happened to be reading that. And I was thinking about what I'm sharing with you on the Sermon on the Mount uh, over these next few months. 
This is the upside down kingdom. What we're going to walk through are truths that they don't play in our world very well today. If you live out the Sermon on the Mount, you are going to look different, act different, live different than the vast majority of people around you. Because the Sermon on the Mount, the teachings of Jesus, the call of him to embody who he was, is a radical, it's a radical adjustment in our lives. That's why I said last week, are you willing to adjust your thinking and your behaviors as you interact with this truth? And I think that maybe for us, beginning to expose ourselves to this more and more and more, and allowing ourselves to let it sink deeper into our psyche, into our hearts, into our minds, to begin to contemplate more and more what Jesus was calling us to, is a way for us to begin, begin to adjust the way that we live. And to be able to not just look at these things as like, well, that's a great wish list. That's a, pfft, there's no way that's ever going to happen. I think that you and I, as the truth of God's word begins to penetrate our heart and mind, as we allow ourselves to dwell on these things, we can begin to acclimate our hearts toward these things. And you would be amazed through the power of the Holy Spirit how God can begin to change and transform our lives to embody the truths of what God called us to in the Sermon on the Mount. As we talked about last week, the sermon starts with this word blessed. We're calling the subtitle of the sermon series, Living the Blessed Life. Now, if you looked around, you would think that the the, the, what it means to be blessed, the Beatitudes or the, the idea of calling us to living blessed would look like this. Blessed are the strong, for they shall rule the earth. Blessed are the mighty, for they shall rise to power. Blessed are the rich, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the influential, for they shall be favored. Blessed are the popular, for they shall be loved. Blessed are the gifted, for they shall be followed. Blessed are the beautiful, for they shall be admired. Those are the Beatitudes according to our world today. That is what everybody uh, in our world tends to think, that this is the blessed life. If I am beautiful, gifted, popular, rich, powerful, strong, this is what will cause me to live a life that's blessed. And yet, it's obvious when you open up the, the, the words of, these, of this sermon, and you go to the pages of this sermon, you begin to realize that blessing from God's perspective is vastly different than the world's perspective. This word bless, makarios, is a state of existence in relationship to God in which a person from God's, is blessed from God's perspective even when she doesn't seem to feel blessing or even maybe isn't presently experiencing good fortune. 
This word is a word that is a, an inward state of truth, no matter how you actually feel. You can still be blessed and not feel blessed. You can still be blessed and not have favorable circumstances. Makarios defines one's state of being in relation to God, regardless and independent of how one feels at any given moment in time. And as we shared last week, blessing is defined primarily in Scripture as a spiritual reality. We talked through a little bit, just read through Ephesians chapter 1, the realities of how God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus are fixed, unmovable truths and realities that as you and I are in relationship with God, these things do not change. And we are blessed. Whether things are going well, whether our circumstances are favorable, we live blessed because and remember the list that he goes down through as he begins to alliterate what those blessings are the forgiveness of sins the resur- the redemption uh, of our soul the S- the holy spirit being in our life and on and on the purpose of god for our life being um set in christ jesus blessing is spiritual And we talked about how it's been easy for us to think about blessing in temporary, earthy terms, in relationship, in possessions, in material things, in wealth. And often, if you're like me, you've caught yourself at times saying, man, I'm so blessed because I have this, or I, right? Let me ask you something, what I've been asking myself, honestly. If I didn't have my family, am I still blessed? If I didn't have the material possessions, would I still be blessed? Amen? Scriptures teach that blessing is the spiritual realities of our relationship with Jesus Christ. There's no doubt that those are good things. My family, obviously, is a great, great thing. I'm thankful for my home, my cars, my ability, my health. That's another thing. If I break down tomorrow and I'm not able to function at a normal capacity, am I still blessed? Amen? According to Scripture, blessing resides in our relationship with Jesus Christ. The good things that flow out of our lives that He's given to us to enjoy in family, in health, in material possessions, no doubt we're, we're called to be grateful for. But they can come and they can go, and yet we remain blessed. Because of who we are as a child of God in relationship to Jesus Christ. And so this sermon begins to unpack how you and I can live 
in this state of recognizing, realizing the blessings that God has given to us. What it is to flesh out, now I'm blessed because I'm his, and now how do I live at the full, the abundant life of what Jesus said later, of how do I experience this blessing in my life, and how do I then, as a blessed person, become a blessing in the world around me for the sake of the glory of God and his gospel. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is calling us to, to live this blessed life, this life that God has given to us in Christ, how to maximize it, how to experience it to its fullness, how to not lose perspective and lose our way of what it is to live in the blessing of the life God has called us. This sermon continues to show us how that is lived out. It's like Dallas Willard says about the Sermon on the Mount. It's asking two questions. What is the good life and who is the good person? And so, Let's just dive in this morning because I think these three verses, three verses help set the tone for us understanding what it is to move into a state of living blessed, to know the blessings of God in our life, to experience them in their fullness, in their richness, to live every day blessed. And I think that as you read these three Beatitudes, these, these first three, that um, it might not seem like this is the pathway to what it is to experience God's blessing. But it is exactly in the upside down kingdom of Jesus Christ, exactly the entrance, the doorway into walking into the blessed life. And so Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, 4, and 5 read this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is, present tense, the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We have three things going on here. I think what is amazing, I, I fall under the school of thought that the, that, the, that the Beatitudes build on each other. There's a connectedness to them as Jesus was presenting them. There's a natural flow. And these first three, I believe, fit together and set the foundation for what it is for you and I to live into a blessed life. These are foundation, This is a foundational principle of our life. And it's captured in these words of what it is to be poor in spirit, what it is to mourn, and what it is to be meek. None of these things are what are being proclaimed at any kind of self-help seminar that you would go to. Your best life now is not telling you to be poor in spirit and to be um, mourning and to be meek. Amen? How many of us love to hear this? Hey, you want to be blessed? Be poor in spirit. You want to be blessed? Mourn. <clears throat> that does not sound great. You want to be blessed? Be meek. What? And yet, we begin to understand that Christ, 
as he shares this sermon, begins to get at the very heart of what, who we need to be. Blessed are the poor. Notice it doesn't stop there. The beatitude is not, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Unfortunately, because of different things that are taught in Scripture and taken out of context, it's, it's very popular at times for there to be a stream of thought that there is a poverty gospel. The only way to be blessed is to put yourself in a state of poverty, right? Um, and this is preached and proclaimed even in our culture today that really the only way that, that God can truly bless you is if you give away all you have and you put yourself in a state of poverty. The scripture is clear here. Blessed are the poor, not period, but the poor in spirit. Now this word poor is it's, uh, an interesting word. Uh, you could have used a number of words. You could have used the word poor for someone who is poor, and so they have to get up and go to work the next day because they don't have reserves. They're poor. They're the working class. Like, I'm poor. I, don't, I can't just retire. I can't just stop working because I have a lot of resources. I'm poor, and I have to keep working so that I can survive could have used that word. Blessed are those kind of people. That's not the word he used. He uses this word that is, um, it's being so poor and destitute and so unskilled. Your poverty is so deep you are, that you are unable to do anything except beg. Blessed are those people who have this kind of Spirit. A spirit that looks around and says, I am not going to be able to, to work to fix myself. This kind of spirit that says, honestly, there is absolutely nothing that I am going to be able to accomplish and do to fix my problem. The only thing that will change my poverty is somebody graciously helps me. That's it. That's the only answer for me. I am so poor, so destitute, so down that there's no fix for me with inside myself. Blessed are these kind of people. For theirs becomes the kingdom. What Jesus is trying to help us to understand is that those who live blessed are those who have such a poverty of spirit that they realize that there is nothing in them that can fix what has been broken in their life. There is no way to fix the sinful tendencies, the sinful behaviors, the sinful nature of their heart. There is nothing that they are going to be able to do to fix it. The only hope they would have is the gracious action of someone to come alongside them and help them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit 
is to be conscious that there is nothing that you and I can do, absolutely nothing that you and I can do to atone for our sin, to fix our life. We are destitute. We are helpless. The only thing we can do is beg, is beg. It's this kind of attitude that causes you and I to become blessed. He carries that theme on when he says, blessed are the mourn, those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Again, he could have used nine different words for the word mourn, but he uses the strongest of these, a deep, lasting, inner mourning, a deep sadness on the inside. And the way what Jesus is trying to help us understand, because the whole the whole matter of the heart is the heart. The whole purpose of this sermon is to try to change our heart. And it begins by us seeing how sinful we are, how destitute we are, how in need of something outside of ourselves we are, and then to have an attitude or a disposition that mourns over this condition, that regrets who we are, that sorrows about our sin. The issue here is not mourning over human circumstances, although we do do that. That is natural for us to do in our broken, fallen world that has death and disappointment and tragedy. There is mourning. This mourning is way beyond that. It is a mourning over the sinful characteristics of our heart. To be blessed is to see how destitute you are and to mourn, to sorrow over that condition. The third thing he says is blessed are the meek. The promises of the kingdom of heaven being comforted and inheriting the earth. But the meek here is a word that has been misunderstood for so long. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness here is power under control. It is a person who has yielded up control to someone else. There's strength there. There's power. It's just now tamed. Farmers use this word to describe a horse that has been broken and now uses its strength and power for good instead of being untamed and reckless. Meekness does not mean I'm weak. It means I've yielded my power to something else. I've yielded up control. And so the progression is, blessed are you who are poor in spirit, who you totally understand your poverty. Blessed are you who mourn over that poverty. And then blessed are you that realize that you can't do anything about it, that you are going to need to give yourself to something else, and that is to God himself. I've tried to characterize it in three words, because what is being proclaimed here at the beginning of this sermon is this word that we throw around so often, but it is 
at the heart of what it is to be a Christian. It is the word humility. You see, Jesus is saying to become blessed, to live the blessed life starts with humility of heart. And humility is being poor in spirit, mourning over my sin, and being meek to the point of submitting myself to the control of God himself. It's in these three words, I see, I see, I see. Humility calls for you and I to see what is true. That I am not. I am broken. I am destitute. Listen, I know our world is trying to tell us that we are this, 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 this. And you got to think positive. And you got to, right, it's in yourself. And, and I love sports, but sports is so much a part of this issue of, of self-belief and self-confidence. And it just, just continues to, and what the scriptures are saying, that if you want to truly live blessed, you must see yourself for who you really are. And you must see And I must see that really, truly, we are lost, broken, hopeless, sinful, destitute. Amen. (laughs) The people who end up living blessed are the people who get who they are in relationship to who God is. It's a see, see reality. See. I am so, so poor. It's a mourn. It's it's a second word I would just say. It's a lament. That's a popular word today. Everybody's using the word lament. I'm trying to think of different words. And I just came back to lament. This word mourn is to not only see how broken I am, but to lament to mourn over this sinfulness in my life. I've been asking myself, Chip, how much do you mourn, lament over your sin? Because we've kind of created this thing now that, you know, God's this, uh, this grandfather in heaven that just doles out forgiveness and winks at our sin, right? We've created these theologies, these, these practical theologies in our world where, you know, well, I sin today, word, thought, and deed, I, you know, God forgives me. And we just keep going on. And our relationship with sin has become one where it's just like, eh, That's not what's being characterized here. That's what we're called to. The the blessed life, the people who live blessed, not only see their sinfulness, their poor in spirit, but they lament over it. They mourn over it. There's contrition. There's sorrow. Paul talks about in Corinthians about having a godly sorrow that works repentance in my life. Worldly sorrow just has regret. Worldly sorrow is like, yeah, I feel bad about that. Godly sorrow is like, I hate this. I want change. 
in my life. Jesus is saying to be blessed is to begin by being humble. And humility calls for us to deal with the sin in our life. And it's this kind of attitude that I see it and I lament over it. And then as we are meek, I give up. I give up trying to fix it. I give up any other hope. I give up thinking that this is just the way I am. Or I give up and I just give myself, I yield myself to the control of Jesus Christ in my life. That's what it means to be meek. To yield yourself, to submit yourself to the control of another. Is to be meek. And humility is how you and I move in to the blessed life. Listen to the words of Peter, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your, to your elders. All of you, close your, clothe yourself with humility because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due. And for me, the thing I just want to introduce are going into the, the Sermon on the Mount is that you and I are called to live blessed. And blessing starts with humility. Being poor in spirit. Mourning over our sin. Yielding ourselves to the control of Jesus. Being meek. And so I've been thinking about how practically does this look to humble Myself under God's mighty hand. If blessing starts with humility, how do I become humble? How do I cultivate humility? How do I, how do I experience humility if God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble? That's where I want to live, is under receiving God's grace, and it comes through humility. How does this happen in my life? I, I, was share, I, I thought I would share one thing that God has, has worked on me about. And God has still got a lot of work to do in my life. But through the ages, the saints have, have always prayed certain prayers or adopted certain phrases in their life. There's been one that's for thousands of years has been a, a, just a simple statement. It's been prayed millions of times. And in my own life, I pray this often. Lord, have mercy on me. When I go to share an opinion, maybe I shouldn't open my mouth. Maybe I should just say, Lord, have mercy on me. When I go to, to go down that road of why they do what they do and I begin to judge, and I begin to think about why they, Lord, have mercy on me. I think for me this is something that God's helping me continually 
Lord, just have mercy on me. In a soundbite, opinionated, self-centered world, how do I find a place where I can live with humility? I, I just use a simple phrase, Lord, have mercy on me. You see, in that little phrase, it, it reminds me. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I'm nobody. I'm nobody. All I have is the mercy of God. That's it. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. To realize you're so poor that the only way you could ever have help is if somebody helps you. Not, oh, I could work a little bit, make it a little different, and make myself a little better. No, I'm so destitute. The only thing that would work for me is mercy. Lord, have mercy on me. In that phrase, I'm reminded, Lord, I've got a long way to go. Lord, I, I'm sorry in my own life for those areas that I fail to trust you enough, that I'm prayerless about, that I'm tempted to be, to be sucked in by the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, what the world consists of. Lord, have mercy on me. I found that this little prayer in my life continues to bring me back to this poor in spirit, mourning, meek. Lord, have mercy on me. What's amazing is, is the saints who have affected my life the most, my grandma, my sweet grandma, who I'm just telling you, and I know I'm biased, we all have those grandmas, right? But she could walk in within 10 minutes, she'd be like, that woman's full of the Holy Spirit. And she just oozed it. Thousands and thousands of people have told. Like, she was just an incredible woman. I remember sitting down with her when I found the Lord and we finally had something in common, right? For many years, she was his grandma and I was not. But we would talk about the Lord for hours because I had come to the Lord. And I remember looking at her. She would say things like, Chip, I just see how much I need God's help and grace. I just see how much I need to grow. And I'm sitting there thinking, what? You like got a halo. Like I feel like you're going to walk right into heaven here in a minute. And yet all she could talk about was how she just knew, she sensed her deep need of God's grace. I mean, humility, this right here, just exemplified. Lord, have mercy. This becomes the attitude of the blessed, a spirit of humility. Maybe these will help you as we go. How do I cultivate humility? Routinely confess your sin to God. Routinely confess. I think in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. God calls us to be mindful, 
to regularly understand that until we see Jesus Christ, we are not going to be completely like Jesus Christ. And there is always room for God's grace in our fallen, in our, in our earthly condition. We are always needing to grow in the grace and the knowledge. Routinely confess your sin to God. Acknowledge your sin to others. Do you do this? Are you able to say, guys, this is me? Are you willing to humble yourself before others? This is how you cultivate humility. This is the, this is the way that you begin to live blessed. Take wrong patiently. <laughs> Whew, that's not easy, right? How do I cultivate humility when I'm wronged instead of lashing back out and hitting back? Take it. Take it. Try this. Choose to not say a word. Choose to not lash out. Choose to not strike back. I mean, this is what Jesus Christ exemplified for us, right? Take wrong patiently. Actively submit to authority. Actively submit to authority, whether good or bad. This is what the scriptures call us to, to submit, to live in submission to one another, to those who have authority over us. And to cultivate a humble heart is to actively submit to authority. In a country in a culture where our rights are what is talked about most. Amen? I have a right to do this and that and that. How about submitting to authority? Receive correction and feedback graciously. Be quick to forgive. Cultivate a grateful heart. Purpose to speak well of others. Because you see, when you and I can tend to start to complain about others, to run others down, we lose all sense of humility because then it becomes a comparison game. It becomes a, right? We begin to, to live in this judgment game or this comparison game. It's hard to have a humble heart. It's hard to live with, Lord, have mercy on me when I'm complaining, criticizing, and cutting others down. You see how much the scripture talks about all these things in other places? And intentionally, the last thing I wrote was intentionally avoid social status. Jesus would talk about it in many different ways. He uses parables about when you go to a banquet, sit in the back. Don't seek out the places of favor, Right? Allow God to, to set those parents. You don't seek those things out. And I will tell you that humility lives in a, in a place where people are not clued in to social status. The kingdom doesn't care if you're rich or poor. Can I say beautiful or ugly? I think we're all beautiful. If you're it, right? 
That's what the kingdom's creating, is a place where all. And social status should be eliminated when we walk through those doors. Amen? And you and I grow in our own humility when we allow ourselves to not be conscious or to intentionally avoid the social status traps that our world creates of who's who and who's favored and who's popular. You know what? To live humble is to avoid getting caught in that trap. Lord, have mercy on me. This is the attitude, the heart of what starts us walking into the blessed life. The life that experiences the abundant grace of Jesus Christ. Where you and I live every day as His. And out of that, we just are able to, to live purposeful. We're able to live at peace. We're able to live with joy. And we're able to love. Love ourselves and love those around us. This is what it means to be blessed. And blessing starts with this attitude of humility. Lord, have mercy on me. Father, uh, Lord, I know this is what you want to do in our heart and life. This is just one of so many different places in Scripture where you call us to humility, to see who we really are in light of who you are. Lord, the world around us is, is not humble. It's full of ego. It's full of self. And Lord, you call us to understand that actually to live blessed is to live out of humility. To be poor in spirit. To mourn over the sin in our life. To be meek, to allow ourselves to give that to you, to trust you. To give up our own pursuits and to submit to your control. Lord, create in us a deep humbleness of heart. Because God opposed the proud, but he pours out grace on the humble. And Lord, as we understand what it is to be blessed, we understand that it starts with humility. And humility always, always is the conduit for God's grace in our life. This is blessed. So Lord, help us to live with the disposition of our heart saying, Lord, have mercy on me each and every day. Thank you for the reality that as we say those words, we know the promise is real. That you are a merciful, kind, loving Heavenly Father. Keep us depending and trusting in you and in you alone. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. 
For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnas.org. Have a great week.